Here's Neymar now, Cavani is there. And Saint-Etienne has surely won it in the 89th minute. Calou for Cavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Tobac. Kylian Mbappé wraps it up. Bonjour et bienvenue, welcome along to the latest edition of Le Bourgeois. Coming up in the pod, rain in the Riviera accounts for Monaco and PSG, but there's no dampening Marseille's spirits as AVB's charges make it four wins in a row by beating Brest. Elsewhere, Madger scores a Madger for Bordeaux, Delors strikes gold for Montpellier and Cornet scoops a victory for Lyon. Joining me today on the pod, I have uh, opposite me Robert Thompson. Good afternoon, everyone. Oh, bonsoir. Robbie, you're not... tribute to our, our departed Unai Emery. Oh, yes. Good evening. Good evening. But, Robbie... Bonsoir. Um, no, no, no PSG action to talk about. No, I'm, so. I'm, I've got withdrawals. What, but just... I did commentate two matches over the weekend and had a, and had a big week. And I can always talk about uh, Real Madrid versus PSG if you need a fix. Too much rain down in Monaco? There were, there, there were big Plenty storms. Yeah, all, all morning there was a meeting at uh, 12.30 between the delegates, the police, uh, the match officials, everyone, and it was uh, by midday the game was already off. And that's good nine hours before kickoff, so that's really saying something. There's something, though, quite quite nice and cathartic about thinking that, that, that they're really suffering down on the Côte d'Azur with the, with the cold and the rain. I think there's also something nice about finding out at, at, at midday, one o'clock, that you don't have to commentate in the evening, which uh, means you don't have to, before even your, your well, train I was, might have I was just going to regurgitate all of my preparation now because I need some sort of outlet for that. It's actually very frustrating for a commentator, even though I totally understand why the decision was made. Okay, but you get paid. That's, now, we'll, 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 we'll talk about that later. David, David Crossan. Discussions. David Crossan is, is with us looking fresh because he didn't, he didn't have to commentate what would have been very interesting game, yeah, but good game. plenty to talk about. We've uh, obviously had nine other matches over the weekend and we've got a midweek round. Lots of league on action coming up. We're going to start in, uh, in Marseille. Marseille victorious again. Marseille doing extremely well under Andre Villas-Boas and they were made to sweat in the end against Brest. Robbie Thompson commentated this one. Oh, that's a good ball for Benedetto. Oh! And in the back of the net in the end from Bounassar. Diallo again for Charbonnier. A little bit of space. First time ball. Oh, and they have done it. Cardona, the man who hit both posts in the first half, has come back to haunt Marseille here. Cardona's third of the season is Radonjic. Well, his first goal in over a season for Marseille came last week and now after seeing the victory apparently snatched from within their grasp Radonjic has fired them back in front and what a way to do it as well Robbie a, a dramatic finale with uh, Brest equalising in the 88th minute Marseille then hitting back instantly to win 2-1 AVB after the game said said it was perfect. Obviously, the performance itself wasn't quite perfect, but Marseille... Maybe the last 30 seconds were perfect for, for <laughs> Marseille ABB. pummeled Brest, didn't they? 34 shots they had, including Absolutely. 10 on target. The most shots at goal since PSG versus Ajaxio back in 2013. Uh, which, which, was, I, which I commentated. Which, which was Edinson Cavani's debut, yes, home debut for Guillermo PSG. Guillermo Ochoa made a, a load exactly. of incredible saves. Cavani exactly. scored. But uh, yeah, Marseille... No, Marseille, it was one-way traffic... 
Funnily enough, Brest had one chance in the first half where Cardona hit both posts with a, a glancing shot as well before he equalised in the 88th minute. Um, Marseille hit the woodwork four times, three times, free kicks, shots outside the box. Um, should have been done and dusted, even by half-time, really. But Marseille did look good. Let's not get carried away just yet. It was a dramatic finish. Great to see Radonjic, who a couple of weeks ago on the pod, I, I, I said, may come good. He's got back-to-back goals now. Yeah, the um, Serbian Cristiano, according really? to Florian well, Tovan. Exactly. That was nice from Florian Tovan. He, was, <laughs> but, well, he hasn't got a lot else to do at the moment, Although, Tovan, apart from come up with fun tweets. So Exactly. But, but he also had to, a go at the referee to, at the end they, as they well. They used to call Campos... Uh, the next Ronaldo as well, and Ocampo struggled at Marseille and is now is now turning well, he was out. Excellent. He's excellent Marseille. Now he was a player of the oh, year last year. Well, yeah, and he's now an Argentina international. Scored on debut for nah. for Argentina. As okay well. then. Okay. But this is not about uh, Ocampos. What a goal though from from Radonjic. Fantastic. And also uh, you saw the reaction of of, of Dimitri Payet on the bench as well because they suddenly thought, and I think Bunasar said it after the game. You know, we felt when they equalised that. Here we go again. We've lost. We've lost two easy points here, mm. and Radonjic to uh, to get that and just see the reaction of everyone on the bench, the support staff, the backroom staff, the the players on the bench, those that had come off. It was a real feeling that maybe this Marseille side's coming together after the game at full time. We saw Gonzalez on the pitch as well, um, who was suspended for the game, the Spanish defender. But you know, a good team atmosphere. It's good to see, and and maybe they've turned the corner. I saw Le Keep on Saturday morning describe Marseille, if I've translated this right, as an alluring dolphin. That, that's a joke from Andy Smith, our YouTube official highlights <laughs> commentator. Dolphin. And Dauphin qui a de l'allure. A dauphin being ah. next in line, a bit equivalent to the Prince of Wales <laughs> in the British royal family. So yeah. I'm not sure they're that alluring as far as dolphins go, but uh, maybe they'll get there. Uh, I think that they're, they're a bit like us today. I mean, we've picked everyone available for this podcast. That's pretty much what Andre Villas-Boas has to do every game. He hasn't got that many <laughs> options. I know he hasn't got Andy Scott, Armel Tongi. They they're always Flor- suspended or unavailable or injured. Uh, Ian Holyman, once away star, etc., etc. Anyway, I'm getting off topic here. But no, I think it's great that Marseille are closing up on Paris Saint-Germain. I'm excited about their game tomorrow night, which I'm going to commentate weather permitting. Uh, when they play Angers because they could close the gap to two points on PSG well, before PSG play yeah, on absolutely. Wednesday. If, and it's, if it's wet, you're not going to bother coming out to commentate. Is that what you're saying? Um, well, if it's a bit cold, I'll, I'll just <laughs> Marseille, stay at home. Dave, I think Marseille, there's every chance if, the cold is going to be cold. If Marseille beat Angers, Angers being one of the surprise teams, although they were beaten uh, at the weekend, they would be two points behind PSG. PSG would perhaps be under a little bit of... No, they wouldn't no. be under pressure, but it would be good, wouldn't it, to see Marseille closing that gap? Absolutely, it would be good. But let's uh, not count chickens, etc., etc. Paris, I don't think, have lost to Nantes in 22 matches or something. It's uh, some amazing record. They play them on Wednesday, the game in hand, away, don't, don't away to skin Monaco. The, what, what, what do the French say? Don't, don't skin the bear until... Or, okay. Dolphin. Dolphin. <laughs> it's an alluring dolphin. Um, no, I, th- I think the main thing is if Andre Villas-Boas manages to get Champions League football back to Marseille with the squad he's got now, then he is a minor miracle worker. And if they do beat Andre tomorrow and manage to bolster that gap absolutely, over the rest of them absolutely. and finish top two, I'm fantastic. But I think, Dave, you just said a couple of moments ago, and, uh, and I think it sums up how I feel as well, is that there's something that this Marseille side, you don't really feel yet that they're the best of the rest. I think behind Paris Saint-Germain, they they have a good coach who's who's obviously getting things to click, um, but you don't think they're like a Leon, the you know, or a Monaco a couple of years ago, a side that have something a little bit special that really are 
that in a one-off oh, game could mm. take it to Paris. Maybe it's just they, the 4-0 yeah. loss to Paris the other day, down 4-0 at halftime, where, you know, there's still that gap. They well, what they have now is the team spirit, which was questionable already at times earlier this season. But when you see everyone, including Dimitri Payet, running hard and yeah. players working for each other and people looking sharp and, as you, you said, the unity in victory. And what was it, that Steve Archibald quote that team spirit is an illusion glimpsed in the aftermath of victory. But I think Marseille do have team spirit at the moment with uh, that four wins in a row. And well, the, the test for Villas-Boas will be when that run comes to an end. But while they're going well... All the better for them. I don't have any Steve Archibald quotes, but I do know that the expression is um, don't sell the bear's skin until you killed it. And, yeah, um, it's because it's not easy to kill a bear. Exactly. And um, it's not easy to beat, to beat Paris Saint-Germain. And what, what is interesting is we spoke to Andre Villas-Boas this week. And Andre Villas-Boas was, uh, was telling us that that defeat, which was a bit of a humbling defeat against PSG, in many respects galvanised Marseille. Um, it made them... Uh, realize what what needed to be done perhaps and uh, and and they have reacted brilliantly since since that 4-0 defeat no i think everybody was a little bit disappointed with the results particularly paris saint germain monaco uh, and the way that we performed in the first half in paris and the second half in the and the first half in monaco so this generated a little bit of revolt uh, and everybody knows that um, we can do better because we, we did better in the second half in Paris and we did better in the second half in Monaco. It's a question of choosing to do the effort or not to do the effort. So uh, when we do the effort, we are, we are better, we are aggressive, we, we, we are more determined and uh, we show our, our true uh, power. That's a, it's, a, it's a fair enough point that uh, you, know, you learn things from defeats and you come back. But for me, Marseille really showed spirit and showed that, that, that perhaps that defeat to Paris Saint-Germain was more about the way they approached the game and that they seemed, they seemed to have accepted defeat even before they stepped on the pitch. And for competitors and for players, I'm sure they, in the aftermath of that, they thought, bloody hell, we can't accept that. That's that's unacceptable from us, from a, from a squad. And against Lyon, we saw that they were really up for it and wanted it. And that, for me, is where they That's turned That's definitely the, the, the swear word that I hear whenever I, I go down to Marseille and I'm on the Vieux Port and I see the old fellas <laughs> drinking their pastis. They're, they're definitely saying, oh, bloody, bloody hell. hell. <laughs> I, Marseille were very poor last night, weren't they, Jean-Pierre? <laughs> you are listening to David Crossan and, uh, and Robbie Thompson on Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 podcast. Do send us your emails, podcast at gmail.com. Or you can get us with the hashtag Le Bourgeois, uh, the official name of this podcast. You can use Le Bourgeois hashtag on, on Twitter. And we're going to be selecting our, our team of the decade um, over the next couple of weeks. And we would love to, to have a bit of input from, uh, from you. We're going to start actually today. We're going to start now by, well, by discussing goalkeepers and defenders. Next week, we'll move on to the midfielders, the following week, uh, attackers, and then we will have our team of the decade as uh, decided by the panel. Um, you know what? Before I put this to Robbie and Dave, I'm going to go to the, uh, to the Twitter where Carolis Dudenas has uh, suggested his, uh, his team of the decade, and there, there are some good shouts just in keep, there. Just, just goalkeepers and defenders. Just goalkeepers and so defenders, yes. So um, he's, he's doing the work for us because he's come up with some good suggestions. <laughs> Mondonda Lopez-Ruffier, he says, goalkeepers and Costil and Leconte and Subasic. Okay, so he's gone quite big 
mm. on the goalkeepers, but they're all decent suggestions, I would say. Centre-backs, we've got Hilton. We've got Loic Perrin, Thiago Silva, Marquinhos, Morel, who could, of course, be a left-back as well, Kamel Glick, Nicola Nkulu, Samuel Umtiti. Lots of good shouts in there. Full-backs, right-back, we've got uh, Matthew Debushi, uh, we've got Jibril Sidibe, and we have Thomas Mernier. And we don't seem to have any left-backs, so... Jeremy Morrell. Left back is a problem position Maxwell, in this team Maxwell, of the decade. He's, he's, yeah, he's gone yeah. for. So that that opens up. You know, I think there are some names in there that that one or two of us will have gone for. Dave, Absolutely. do you want do you want to start with goalkeepers? Yeah, I'll, I'll go with my short list of goalkeepers, including one that I don't think was mentioned on that very good short list. Actually, a lot of my picks are on there. Uh, just about every goalkeeper that's played this uh, decade. Mikel Londro has to feature in this conversation because he won the league with Lille in 2011 and he broke Jean-Luc Ettore's record for the most number of league and games, but he did only play half the decade. And for me, that's enough to disqualify him. I think longevity does matter. And I'm going to go with Mondonda's claims over Ruffier. He's been voted goalkeeper of the year three times in the tens, as I like to call this decade. He's probably had as many, uh, what, slimming cure in Murano as well uh, so a bit up and down but overall Ruffier must have had a slimming cure or two as well he's a big boy I think Ian Holyman's got fantasies of Ruffier spending all his time boxing in a gym so maybe that's what he does to get the weight off the, the Saint-Étienne a great tradition after Jeremy Jeannot I love I, I love the fact that uh, Mondonda's one real dip happened at Crystal Palace so I think that always poor his poor spell and that strengthens his claim I would say for being Ligue 1 sir Goalkeeper of the decade, maybe. Robbie, goalkeeper? Well, the only other goalkeeper I could think of, and it's because I have a soft spot for Mexican football as well, would be Guillermo Ochoa, although it's only three seasons. But he did it... But he probably had more saves to make in those three seasons than Mondonda did in the entire decade. (laughs) Exactly. He was spectacular. I think he's a a fantastic goalkeeper. And and also, how on earth did Ajaxio get a player who the year before was nominated for the Ballon d'Or while still playing in Mexico? Ochoa, the whole... Ochoa career is weird. I don't know who, yeah, spe- who manages him. Such and how- a player, such an yeah. incredible player. But obviously, he just liked the beach and liked the good weather and the, the lifestyle exactly. down in a. In and a and thanks to Guillermo Ochoa for improving our lifestyle as well, because it meant extra games to commentate it on did. a Saturday night at Jaxio every week. We did every Jaxio game there That's for, true, for three years. That's true, because of the American and Mexican market, which was. But I would. Was good for the freelance if, budget. If, well, look, Ochoa, I'll leave Ochoa hanging in there for the moment. I think it's a, a big one. Londro, yes, but I think Londro, most of his good work and most of those 600 games was obviously in the noughties. Um, Mondonda getting the nod probably ahead of, ahead of Lopez for me. Okay. A Marseille goalkeeper. Anthony Lopez, uh, the yeah. Leon goalkeeper who, yeah, certainly in the last two or three seasons has been outstanding. Outstanding, a European champion as well. Having not... Play. Did he play for Portugal? Euro no. 2016? And, no. And he's since, uh, I think, retired from international football as well. At the, yeah, the right so semi-retirement. He, he might be lured back out of it. But, exactly. Yeah. Well, I don't want to... prefer I, to spend time I think after his, his mistake at Benfica, I'm not sure Portugal wants him back. Mm. I don't suggest that I always have the casting vote. That wouldn't really be fair. But um, I'm... I'm <laughs> Salvatore Sirigu. I'm actually mate. going with you guys. It's interesting. We haven't named a PSG goalkeeper. I think that says quite a lot. There were so many of them. Quite a lot. That's, about, I think, that's I think that says the... quite a lot about PSG's decade, perhaps. But... For me, Mondonda, a league champion with uh, with Marseille. You're going with a Pula Adele. <laughs> Is he this decade? I must have. Oh, just yeah. maybe, maybe. <laughs> no, Greg no. Coupe was in uh, goal in 2011, wasn't yeah. he? If you don't or mind, not. guys, I'll just finish my. Uh, Sorry, Steve Mondonda. <laughs> yeah, ahead. no, Steve Mondonda, consistency, and I just think, you know, winning the league at, at Marseille until 2011, Rob. but also yeah. being <laughs> being such a consistent player at a club like Olympique de Marseille is 
is really not easy. And I, I don't, I'm not saying it's easy for Rufier at Saint-Étienne, um, but to be that that popular, and I, you know, his performances dipped a couple of years ago, but it, but he's come back and, like you say, went on that diet in the summer, and he he's the man. He is il fenomeno, as the uh, Marseille fans sing, and he's been the one constant at Marseille. And I think to survive and flourish in that hugely demanding environment for so long deserves credit. And uh, yeah, for me, Stev is my number one. Our okay. number one. Unanimous. Yeah, Unanimous. I'll, so, I'll accept okay. that. Stev Mondonde pencil, is pencil, in the team. Pennymin, pennymin. <laughs> um, I think that's the biggest honour of his career. Let's Absolutely. go with four. We'll have to get him on the pod. Four def- <laughs> yes, four <laughs> defenders, Dave. Yeah. Um, what, are you, what, are, what are your Are choices? we starting with right back? Well, I just, 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 or do you yeah, just want go, a back four? No, let's go, go right back. Go right back. Right back. Well, uh, yeah, Debushi was second on my short list, but the one I'm going for, again, didn't make our... Uh, our Twitter writer in yes. persons. <laughs> Contributor. <laughs> yeah, Twitter contributors <laughs> list. I'm going with Christophe Jalle. Ah, uh, hugely underrated. Had uh, five good seasons at Paris Saint-Germain. And one of those surprise careers, I think, even to himself. Yeah. He managed to win titles. Did pretty well at Lyon as well. Recent years, blighted by injury. But there was also a good reason why he was picked for France. He was a decent right back, but also a fantastic team man and someone that everyone enjoyed spending time with. Yeah, can I, can I just add in that there are quite a few different criteria here. Like, obviously, talent and performances are, are important, but longevity, the... Uh, yeah, I'm the not o- saying he's the most talented no, right-back to have featured frankly, over the last frankly, decade. Frankly, Dani Alves is probably the best right-back in, in modern history, or certainly he's up there in the top two and or three. And he played here in France. And he played here in this France. Decade. But, some of his worst football. <laughs> but perhaps didn't play his best football, certainly didn't play his best football. So no, You have to so, have yeah. someone as, as well that represents the values of Ligue 1 football, and, and Christophe Gelle is as French <laughs> what, he's as bald they come. And <laughs> <laughs> bald and wears very long socks. <laughs> he balls and, and he it, tries but, hard. It's great that someone who... who Came through the ranks at Nure, who are a perennial second division, third division side. They've been in the second division for a number of years now. Has, has made it up through the ranks and, and made a career. It's fantastic. And he's, he, when I say he's as French as French can be, he's, he's actually invested money in, in his local region where he comes from, the Cognac region. Exactly. Uh, he's, a, he's a salt of the earth. Fan, and, and Does he make Cognac? I think he does. I think he, well, I don't know if he personally makes Get him on the yet. pod. Get him, get him on the pod. Christoph, please. He is, and I can also say, having interviewed him num- numerous times when he was at PSG, he is just a lovely, genuine guy as well. Like, he's no frills. On the football field, he's no frills. He gives it everything. And off the pitch, he's, he just doesn't wreck there your head. Be, he's yeah. just a fantastic guy. There are going to be no frills in our back four. I'm, I'm absolutely sure about that. But no. while, while Jalet has contributed quite a lot to French culture with his cognac, I would like to say that Mathieu Debouchy, by making table football uh, games or baby foot, as, yep. as they say, you know, yep. every table, table soccer we say in Australia. Every yeah, okay, but every cafe, <laughs> football as they say in friends. What what struck me? Can I just say when I when I went on French exchanges, there were a lot of things that struck me yeah. like when I came over to France. But the the quality, how good they are, the yeah. quality of of kids, French kids at baby foot. Yeah, I, I guess the now Italians I, I guess now, at, now Italians it's all are good at table FIFA soccer as well. And Fortnite, but mm. back in my day, they were all amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we, no, the the rule of you're not allowed to spin the the men was uh, is a big shock to all Anglo's. I think when yeah, you when yeah, you get onto yeah. the continent, yeah, that's that was, the biggest difference between an English football fan or Australian football fan. And, that was one of the reasons the I, I had a miserable week, and also that my exchange's sister played me at Connect Four like all the time, and she was just so good at Connect Four. But anyway, we'll we'll talk about that another time. I, yeah, I wanted to give Debushi a mention. I, I jotted down Yusuf Attar. Yeah, he hasn't done it for long enough. But I do, 
I do like Atal just because I think he's very different. He brings something very different. But we're looking for no frills. And I think I think we're all happy with Jale. Yeah, yep. Jale, far and away. Far, the, the standout. Dave calls him Jale. Jale? Jale. 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 And also <laughs> played for a lot of Ligue 1 clubs as well. I mean, we've got Nice, Lyon, Amiens now, PSG. Paris, Lorient. I mean, that's an that's a excellent portfolio as well. Yeah, very solid. Left back. Left back's maybe a bit tougher. Um, mm. Should we start with Robbie? Or? Yeah, start with Robbie because yeah, I know who he's going to pick. Yeah, well, there. Okay. Well, it's, it's an easy one. And again, it's, it's for half for the, the human side as well. It's impossible, I think, to go past Maxwell. Oh, he was one of going to say first... Kozawa for a minute. <laughs> Ask a few league and right wingers whether it was impossible to go past Maxwell. <laughs> <laughs> He, um, that was unfair. Actually. He's very no, good. He, that is unfair, and and also there was a little bit of pressure or a little bit of cynicism when he arrived as well because he was the perennial substitute at Barcelona. He played at uh, Inter Milan and Ajax as well, but most people thought he'd just come because he was Latan's mate, and uh, even if he he preceded Latan, I think, or well, about the same time. But um, that Maxwell was superb for Paris Saint Germain. He's still club ambassador, and again, like Jalé. Excellent guy, really, really good guy. No frills, just, just, a, and a superb crosser of the football. What for, for someone? Paris always had those players that would would cross the ball into row Z. Yeah, no, and, he's, and he's he's outstanding. Fantastic and he player. came towards the end of his career, but there was no suggestion that he, he could was have kept playing. Down. He could have I mean, kept playing. He's he still got a good number of years out of him. He was he was top top notch. I wanted to mention Cesar Azpilicueta as a right back because he did have two yeah. two seasons at Marseille, yeah. but and he again, was underrated as well. He was underrated, but. His football improved so much when he when he went to mm. Chelsea. So I, you know, I, I, a Dani Alves sort of scenario. I don't feel he we saw the best of mm. as Billy Quetta. Aren't we talking about left backs? We're talking about left backs. I okay, yeah, I, 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 I came under a lot of pressure from the Laboja secret police to pick Berrier. So Frank Berrier, Frank okay. Berrier, yeah, yeah. No, he did seven good years at Lille in the yeah, in yeah. the tens. He's still involved with the club. Talking I think like his official title is director of professional football. Uh, no, like it's a lovely place, Matt. And uh, they played great football in that double winning team as well. I mean, they're one of my favourite teams of the decade, if we're just talking about the club teams, probably along with the, the first era of Zlatan and the, the Monaco 2016-2017 team. But uh, yeah, Berrier, solid, unspectacular. But as I said, left back is a real problem position. I only had two names on this list, Maxwell and him. Yeah, well, our, our, our Twitter friend went for Jeremy Morel as well, which I think is a decent shout, um, just in terms of consistency through the years he gets the Jale style vote but we've already picked Jale yeah so. we need to inject a bit of quality on the left I mean Furlan Mendy <laughs> Furlan Mendy had a good year or two but didn't do enough really I think over over, over Benjamin, no, the best Mendy season was Benjamin Mendy Benjamin, Benjamin Mendy, Mendy yes and he, he was really was about, a yeah. sub, he was a superb athlete and but you that was tell, one year exactly well, that year with Monaco no Marseille he, he showed all the potential to go on but I don't think he really did it for me hmm but yeah, so I was thinking about Benjamin Mendy. Yes, yeah, thanks, for, thanks for reminding me. But yeah, at Marseille, it's true that Eric Dimeco, the uh, former Marseille legend, now pundit, said he would eat a rat if Benjamin yes. Mendy ever played for France because yeah. he was so unimpressed with him and at Marseille. Did. And he did eat a rat, I think. Yeah, he I did. think he yep. did. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Mm. Good on him. Good on him for doing that. Um, <laughs> Benjamin Mendy, I think you, if he, we all felt that if he could just work out how to cross, that he'd, he'd take that next step. He'd be that next level player. And that's what happened. Yeah, it's crossing. Phenomenal. But I think we're going to go with Maxwell. Yep. Done. I think Max, just to try and squeeze a PSG player in because they did. Oh, we can try and get Max on the pod as well, actually. They did, get, good. <laughs> they did get a few results in the last decade, PSG. Let's go to I centre-back. He, yeah, well, he was uh, world record for a number of trophies won, Maxwell. Okay, I'm going with a couple of um, 
couple of Marseillais. I'm going with my skipper, Vito Hilton, because I just think well, if you look at the last decade, it's very hard to look beyond Hilton. He won the league in 2010, albeit not playing very much at Marseille. He went to Montpellier, won the league in 2012, and he is now, what, 42? Is he yet? 42, mm-hmm. yeah. 42, yeah. and he is still captaining and, and playing well ex- and playing yeah, yeah. and is Set outstanding. Goal, I mean, uh, I think it's difficult yesterday, to look beyond him. Ago. The other guy I'm going to go for, and again, he maybe didn't play that long in Ligue 1, but, but I, he's left a real trace. And I don't think we say that in English. I think that's Franglais, but yeah. the, the French mark. mark. Left his he mark. left his mark, and that's Gabriel Heinze, who is a former PSG player. But, but surely naughty as I've, well, man. I found Heinze in, in, in the title winning season. Well, that was 0 9 10. And the year, yeah, so there's six months. <laughs> well, he won the league at Marseille for the first time. I thought in you were going to say Adil Rami. But. 17 years. I have him down as, as a possible. Anyway, Gabby Heinzer, because you well, talk, well, talk to Marseille fans now, and, uh, and they remember Gabby Heinzer as somebody who's really marked the club. I've, I've jotted down Loic Perrin and Adil Rami as two others, um, but there you go. It's got to be Thiago Silva. Yeah, sure. It has to be Hilton surely. and Thiago Silva for me. You can't look beyond Thiago Silva. And if we're going for Ligue 1, team of the decade we can talk about his Champions League displays in the big knockout games being subpar and they were particularly that remontada game which I know Robbie was at and I was as well mm. he was awful that day but in Ligue 1 he's head and shoulders the best defender that there's been in Ligue 1 over he the did. last decade yeah I, I agree there's no no doubt you can't you can't you know what past. I was I was thinking Thiago about Silva. the PSG he's guys. even got a French passport now he I was is, thinking about the PSG Ligue guys through and, and, through. I, and I was thinking mm. if I had to go for Thiago he's been there Silva. since 2012 guys, as well let me talk mm. No. <laughs> this morning, you're all a little bit chatty we're, and we're not spending all morning. We, we are going to be getting back to the, uh, to the weekend's action. But I was thinking about Thiago Silva and Marquinhos and my feeling was that Thiago Silva was the best defender in the world when he joined PSG. But I don't feel like his best years have necessarily been since he's at PSG. I know he's been good and he's been important. I but they... I feel, if you just let me finish, yeah, Robbie. Okay, go, quick. I feel while Marquinhos <laughs> has been on an upward curve and still is and is today for me one of the best two or three defenders in the world... Thiago Silva's been on a different curve and that may sound a bit harsh, but if we're talking about producing their best football in this league, I, I would have Marquinhos head, but I'm happy to, to stand down. Okay. And, I think they're, they're, I think Thiago gets a bad rap for things that happened, as Dave says, for, for things that happened outside of Ligue 1, like with the Brazil national team at the 2014 World Cup. Where, where he obviously cried during the penalty yeah. shootout against... No, well, I think, well, I'm not going to make him my captain. Columbia. Let's just say that. Mm. No, but those leadership qualities. But defensively, I think every season, people sort of think, Thiago Silva's on his last legs. Is this the season we're going to see Kimpembe Marquinhos? And every season, about this time of the year, everyone's saying, Thiago Silva is incredible. He's playing the best football of his career. And then, when Paris get knocked out of the Champions League... Everyone says, well, they don't have a leader. They don't. And, and Thiago gets sort of retrospectively a bad rap from not being able to lead Paris Saint-Germain to Champions League glory. But he is a superb... He's 35 now, and he's playing, for me, spectacular defensive football. I don't think... I don't see how you could choose anyone else Thank on you. those criteria. Le Dernier Mot. The Robbie Thompson with Le Dernier Mot on uh, Thiago Silva. He gets the nod. So we have Mondonda in goal. Jalais at right back. Vitorino Hilton... With the captain's armband next to Thiago Silva, Maxwell at left back. Actually, should we should we choose our captain at the end? Not not yet. He's provisional yes. captain. He's provisional yeah, captain. But, yeah, but um, we, so we're going a four three three. 
Four, four, two. Well, four, we'll two, talk three, about that one. next week, shall we? Because yeah. three at the back. Uh, well, we'll definitely go with four, <laughs> with four at the back. Okay. Well, yes, we have gone with four at the back. I think we're going to have so. to go four, three, three. Four, three, three. Got to get yeah. three forwards in there. Laurent Blanc's midfield is looking good for me already. What, the Bordeaux team in 2008? Mata, Verratti, that's not this different. Let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Leon. Leon are getting back to business. I think it's four wins in five now under, under Rudy Garcia. They, they had to come from behind. It was a tough game away to Strasbourg. David Crossan commentated it. Leonard. Ajork. It's touched back Ajork's way. Ajork. And now Fafana finds the bottom corner. Yusuf Fafana and Strasbourg have the lead as they chase a fifth consecutive home win. Cornet. Cornet shoots and finds the bottom corner. Lyon are level out of nothing. Cornet's second of the season. Strasbourg won, Lyon won. Cornet. Chance here. Oh, and Lyon are in front. It's Jeff Wren, Adelaide with the header. 2 1. Their first chance of the second half has been buried by Wren, Adelaide. Dave Strasbourg uh, won, Lyon 2. A big win. Again, it wasn't brilliant from a Leon side that were that were beaten uh, by Zenit St. Petersburg in midweek. Uh, but but they got the job done, thanks again to somebody I was bigging up the week before, Jeff Wren Adelaide, who, who got the winner. Yeah, he got the winner. Nice header from a deep Maxwell Cornet cross. It was a very forgettable game. That I, I don't know what they played in our commentary excerpt, but uh, if they played the three goals, that was about it. There was nothing else that happened in that entire match. But... Uh, Leon showed their character. They didn't get back from St. Petersburg until about five in the morning on the Thursday. They had a quick turnaround for the Saturday afternoon game at La Menor, which is never an easy place to go. And Strasbourg had won their previous four home games. They were still without Depay and Aouar, so that's a whole lot of technical quality that they didn't have on the pitch. Uh, they gave a debut to a 19-year-old midfielder, Maxence Cacare, who I think is getting credited with the assist for Cornet's opening goal for Lyon, even though the ball broke off the Strasbourg fullback. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of those games where if Ren Adelaide doesn't pop up with the winner, then you'll be asking questions about Lyon. Have they got the quality? Are they defensively susceptible? But because they've got the win, they've got themselves closer to the top three and Garcia is picking up the points, but there's still a lot of room for progress. Things do need to change still. Yeah, they moved up to fourth provisionally, then they moved, they've, they've dropped down to seventh. So they're currently seventh going into the uh, midweek games. 22 points when you consider Marseille have have 28, but Angers, who are third, have, have just 24. So Leon just two points off, but off third Just place. to talk a little bit more about Ren Adelaide, because I think, yeah, we like talking about Ren Adelaide. He's a very skillful player, lovely mover, very mm. good on the ball, and described by Garcia as the team's technical leader when Aouar and Depay aren't there. And that's all fair enough, but he's got to start producing more consistently. And the fact that he scored in back-to-back games doesn't mask the poverty, really, of his overall performance Ooh. on Saturday. Okay, okay, but, you know, we were talking about last week, the fact that um, Rudy Garcia keeps taking him off and, you know, as soon as there's a sending off or things are not going well, he's, he, you know, you say he's got to get more consistent, but, I mean, Rudy Garcia maybe needs to play him in the same position and play him week in, week out. I mean, we're talking about a young player. Yeah, uh, and I guess the, the difficulty there is that his best position is probably Usim Aouar's best position. I still think Aouar's better than Ren Adelaide. But uh, Ren Adelaide is the France under twenty one left central or playmaker position. Yeah, he plays number ten for France under twenty one. Scored a couple of goals against I Georgia. Think that's an did issue. That. I Ren think that's Adelaide. an issue for for Jeff that people don't quite know. Well, he was a winger at Angers, is. and I, 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 
I wrote yeah. a profile piece for him for the the wonderful Ligan.com website last week and um, Stefan Moulin was playing him out wide because he felt he needed toughening up. He didn't have the the legs to work in the midfield area when he first came from Arsenal because he'd played so little for the Gunners. But uh, towards the end of last season, he put him in at number 10 and that's where he caught the eye and earned himself this big move to yeah. Lyon. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, he does have to have a position nailed down. He's got the quality, that's for sure. Producer Ian was uh, was asking whether... I think Arsenal should have kept him. Whether I think you know he would be playing a role at Arsenal today, I think unquestionably when you see his performances in the Champions League and in Ligue 1, despite Dave's fairly harsh assessment, I think you know I think he's been Leon's brightest player uh, pretty much this season, even if he has been inconsistent like like the rest of them. And I I I think he has this wonderful sort of languid style, a little bit like Abu Dhabi, and I think. I think without question he'd be, you know, you look at the paucity of Arsenal's midfield options at the moment. Um, I, I think the biggest crime, if you like, that Arsenal committed was selling him to Angers for 1.5 million. Mm. Um, his value went up. Um, did, they get a, did, they get a, did they get a percentage yeah. of that sell I think 10% only. So they got. Oh, right. Angers have got themselves a 15% yeah. on any profit oh. made on a 25 plus 2.5 million euro deal. My, my comments weren't really directed against Ren Adelaide per se. It's more this um, short cuts that everyone takes when you don't watch the games in full and it's understandable we mm. all do it so Radonjic has scored two in two yeah. he must be playing well now Renad Lied has scored two in two he must be playing well now Rafinha three and three I think as well it's very easy to say oh you know Arsenal it's terrible hey you know when you buy young players you're taking a big gamble they bought him very young he had significant injury problems when he was at Arsenal there were performances he was quite bright when he started particularly in the Emirates Cup then there were performances where, where he'd sort of come in and play in the League Cup and, and he you know, he just didn't look like a footballer. I mean, didn't seem to know what, what to do with the ball, but it's very hard for a sort of 18, 19-year-old suddenly Absolutely. come in at Arsenal and, and start producing. Um, so, you know, you look back at it and you think, well, why have Arsenal sold him? Why have Arsenal sold Serge Nagbury? That's, you know, that's a different a different question, but, but, but there are always reasons behind it. And I think the bottom line is when you sign young players, you take risks. Not all of them are going to make it in... in in your club especially it's not easy to play in a three-man midfield that's the the thing especially when you have attacking notions when you're a player that likes to get forward you need to to really have a, a big workload a great work ethic you need to get stuck in in the middle of the park and that's what Awa does Awa is a really aggressive player he's great going forward but he doesn't have necessarily the dribbling st- skills of a Ren Adelaide I, I think you can understand why a Ren Adelaide can play further up on the wing, or if you play a four-two-three-one, which Leon don't play in behind the striker, but it's it's not an easy position to play. The number ten role, at any rate, hardly exists anymore, really, in, in modern football. Paris Saint-Germain have a have a Neymar out out on the, out wide where where he drifts in. That's more Ren Adelaide's position for me. Awa is a is a brilliant midfielder because he makes those runs. He's it's something else that hardly exists in France, which is a box-to-box midfielder. Awa can really do that full workload and that's not Ren Adelaide's Morgan Sanson yeah I like him I think he's he's really and Rangier as well Rangier, at Marseille yeah. we they're both physical but but Sanson really is a physical player now he runs all day and he's he's not the biggest lad but when you watch him play he puts a lot of impact mm. into his challenges he's a uh, he's a good player he just needs a little goals. bit more quality in his yeah exactly but Physical, very impressive, Morgan Sanson. So Leon have a, a big game coming up on Tuesday night. Rudy Garcia facing another of his former teams. They're at home against Lille. Lille at last got a, a victory at the weekend. They defeated Dijon uh, 1-0 thanks to Victor Ossiman's uh, penalty. Eight goals in eight home games now for 
Victor Osimhen, the Nigerian international. Dijon were a bit unlucky. They had a goal chalked out that was uh, only marginally offside. So it was a shaky win. And Lille still have, I think, a, a little bit of work to do to um, I think we need a footnote on their contract. terrific shirts that they were wearing to celebrate the, the 75th, 75th anniversary yeah. of the club. But I really like those, the white shirts with the red V and collector's items. Classy, classy touch. Um, nice against Andre was another big, big game from the weekend. Um, we we didn't have a commentator at that one, which is which is somewhat surprising. But it was a, it was a big game for Patrick Vieira. There were reports in the press that Vieira um, could be coming under pressure to keep his job if Nice lost. That it was one win in nine for for Nice going into into that game. We know that Vieira is uh, being strongly linked with uh, the Arsenal position. Um, Dave, how do you feel about the current situation? By the way, I'll just let you know they won. Nice won three one, so it was a big win. Angers were second, go- no, were third going into that game. Um, Angers went ahead through Angelo Fulgini. Nice hit back Arnold Lusamba. Mizuan Maulida, Mal- Mal- sorry, that was his first league goal for Nice, and then Casper Dolberg with uh, with a late goal, three one, a big win for Vieira, Dave. Yeah, for me, the apart from Madger's Madger, which we're going to come on to later, I think the biggest news of the weekend was that the Alliance Riviera is now connected to Nice's tramway system. I saw that. Unbelievable. At last. At last. People but, can actually get to the stadium. Yeah. <laughs> I know whenever we get sent to Nice, we look at that appointment with dread. Everyone will think, it's mm. great. You go to the Cote d'Azur. Oh, no, it's going to be a nightmare to get there. But now you can get there on the tram. So well done, the city of so Nice. So now is the hardest one to get to now the Stade Louis II? I always, I always, whenever I see the stadium, I stay I, in the hotel opposite. So I, I always, my heart goes out to the to the England fans, my compatriots who managed to to just about get into that stadium at Euro 2016 to see to see Iceland beat them with a goal from that nont that terrible nont striker Sigurdsson. No, no, Sigtorsson. Sigtorsson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, that's the one. Um, but. Yeah, it, that, that was a big win for Vieira. I mean, Vieira yeah. commented as well on his future after the game. Yeah, and he said he'd never said that he was going to leave Nice. But uh, yeah, he talked, he used the word sacking a lot in his post-match comments. He said, I'm a coach and we all know as coaches that at some point mm-hmm. we might get sacked. Um, I think that result, I, I don't think he was quite at that level yet. But if the, that long run without wins carried on, then he would have come under increasing well, pressure. Yeah, I mean, they were 15th and I do think they're a club that have ambitions to... I think they have big ambitions. Yeah, to now, push Especially on. with yeah. the, the Ineos taking over. Because they, we they were really nice goals, I have to say. And it's a, the touches from Dolberg and Lace Malou in the build-up to Mal Leader's goal, absolutely terrific. And the way Dolberg took his last goal, like Angers were quite close to making it 2-2 through Stade Tube. They had a lot of players out injured, which... Uh, uh, would have meant that a point at Nice would have been a very good result for them. But Dolberg, he, he's now starting to look the part. Does, That's two does. in two games, four goals for the season now. And if you've got a regular goal scorer, which is something they didn't have last season because Atal and San Maximan were joint top scorers with six, Dolberg should go into double figures at least this season. Then they are going to start going places. It's still a very condensed league and table. And maybe now that they've got that tram, that they can get <laughs> some more supporters in. Because I, it was I, a sparse crowd at the weekend. I think these are big weeks and big months for Patrick Vieira in his career because absolutely last season okay Nice finished seventh with a very very um, light squad they played a lot of defensive football Vieira showed that he knew how to organize a team and uh, he knew how to motivate his players he dealt reasonably well with Balotelli in the first half of the season as well this season it's different they, they've made signings they've got new owners they've got ambition now Vieira f- fell out with a section of the Nice supporters with regards to everything that happened with this uh, with this takeover. 
Patrick Vieira basically positioned himself with the uh, Chinese-American uh, owners. He didn't necessarily want the club to change hands. He was happy with the, with the setup, the president, with Gilles Grimondi as well, uh, working alongside him. And the fans were fed up and they wanted a change. So it got quite tense towards the end of last season. You wonder if, uh, if Vieira has managed to sort of get those supporters back on side. I think, I think not yet. But what I, what I do think is the next few months are important. And I think he shouldn't think too much or read too much about the Arsenal links. And I think if, mm-hmm. Arsenal, if Arsenal want him, they can get him maybe next summer. But I think he needs to focus on what is a very difficult job at Nice. Wasn't moment. Emmanuel Petit calling for... Vieira to be appointed Arsenal boss straight away. A, a lot of people are. But, but a lot of people done, are. Has he shown enough yet in his career? I don't. Surely not. I mean, your Arsenal need to take a, a coach that's that's I, proven himself a little bit at least. He had a, a, a didn't change the world in America when he was there. Since he's been at Nice, he's really struggled to score goals. I mean, it's it's. I one agree, thing. Robbie. But there is a I'm just to give a bit of context. There's a feeling at Arsenal that the club needs to get back to. To, to what it was and to get the values back and Patrick Vieira represented those values and, and that and that can be no no I, I can see you making <laughs> making faces at me that is often a mistake that clubs make Ole Gunnar Solskjaer represented a wonderful time at Manchester United so you know yeah Arsenal if they appoint Vieira I think but they need Freddie, to be absolutely Freddie represents that same uh, and that's why epoch. there's a lot of positivity positivity around his appointment but I think Vieira needs to needs to prove this season for himself and perhaps for the Arsenal hierarchy as well that he can do it let's uh let's uh, move away from Arsenal shall we let's move back to I thought we were talking about Nice okay mo- go let's move back to Liga. <laughs> let's talk about Rennes and Saint-Étienne because these two clubs had pretty miserable uh, time of it on Thursday night Rennes had already been eliminated from the Europa League they lost again against uh, Celtic Saint-Étienne needed a victory against Ghent. They didn't get that victory. It was nil-nil, despite Ghent being down to 10 men for, for part of the game. Now, Robbie commentated Rennes against Saint-Étienne on Sunday. There's our Boudaboos. And that cultured left foot takes charge of this free kick. And it comes near post. Surely at the back post. And it's Johnny that scored. Well, he's considered very much surplus to requirements by Claude Puel. He's been at Saint-Étienne for a couple of years now and played barely a handful of matches. And this, just his second start of the season. It's an unlikely source that has fired Saint-Étienne in front. Del Castillo, that's a lovely pass for Rafinha. And the Brazilian gets Ren back on level terms. Corner it is for Ren. All in, it's a good one, the header! And they have one at Ren! And it's their captain, Damien De Silva! Claude Puel, who hasn't tasted defeat since taking over at Saint-Étienne, will surely now suffer his first reverse since returning to Ligue 1 football. Dave mentioned earlier that uh, the highlights package was about all there was in the game. That is absolutely the case in this one, I'm afraid. Rennes versus Saint-Étienne. There was, apart from three goals, nothing to talk about in the match. It was particularly the second half from Saint-Étienne, who had started quite brightly. Diony scoring his first goal in a year 
Um, but look, it was just his third match of the season so far, so it's not really his fault. He hasn't proved himself there. He opened the scoring. Ren came back. Rafinha scored his third in three matches, showing that once you break that duck a bit a la Radonjic or the Ren Adelaide, that goals can flow. It's a question of form. And then uh, an incredible mix-up in terms of defending a set-piece that allowed Damien De Silva to get the winner in the 94th minute. Claude Puel, you can imagine, was absolutely furious. But Saint-Étienne really offered nothing going forward. And this is a side with Riyad Boudibouz pulling the strings in midfield. We talk about Patrick Vieira struggling to find attacking options and a way to score goals. Saint-Étienne look in all sorts of trouble in this They've got department. a lot of injuries, though, haven't they, Rob, at the moment? They do. Still about 10 injuries. Yeah. But uh, I think Puel has been papering over the cracks Helped Absolutely. by the form of Denny Buanga, the, the Gabonese mm-hmm. international who's been pressed into action further up the pitch than he'd usually play and has scored six goals since October the 15th for club and country. But you can't rely on Buanga doing it every week. Going back to that European game where Buanga hit the bar with an amazing effort and he has been fantastic mm-hmm. over the last couple Surprisingly. of Surprisingly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, he's always a, a decent player, but he's, he's taken a step up, looks more and more confident. But you know, with 10 players out... The, the squad is thin. The squad looks yeah, yeah. limited. There was no no Kazri, no Hamuma. I think we need to ask a difficult question here. We are the official league and podcast, but we don't shy away from the, uh, from the tough issues. And I think the fact of the matter is, in the Europa League this season, French teams have been very, very poor. And we've had, we've had some, um, some interest, some, some reaction, notably Alex Tremblay, um, a league and fan who um, got the bug when he was in Arras for a year in 2011, now lives in Canada. And... Alex wrote us a very interesting and uh, and long email, effectively expressing his his frustration and uh, asking why 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 do French teams not do better? This 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 league is is fifth in in the rankings. Um, this league occasionally you get you get a really good performance. You get Marseille going to to the final, but very often teams just do not turn up, and that's been the case of Saint Etienne and Rennes this season. Um, extremely poor. Just uh, another another tweet we had from Carolis Dudenas, and he says exactly the same. Why are French teams so poor in Europe? I have my theory. His theory is that the squad which qualifies them are not the same as the group of players that then participate. And I I get what he means. Very often yeah. they'll, they'll get to Europe, and a few of the top players go. Ren lost Ismail Assar, for example. Um, certainly one or two others. Robbie, what? Yeah, ben Sabaini left. They yeah. did. They did have a couple of changes but uh Ren especially you think how can they how can that happen to them is it just a hangover of having a great season and then the next season thinking things would happen the same way they made the last 16 of the Europa League last year they won the French Cup they had a fantastic victory over Real Betis they they had a fantastic run against Arsenal as well in that last 16 tie before before bowing out I mean it was it, I think they're just well, and sadly, this has been the case over the, the last decade that I've been covering French football. The, the French teams are too quick to fold when it comes to Euro, the Europa League that Rennes could have beaten Celtic at home on the opening match day. They went a goal up at the Stadio Olimpico against Lazio before losing that game. So they, they did have opportunities to get good points on the board. But once they sensed that things were going against them, I just don't think that they committed to it the same way that they did last yeah. year when they were excited about being in Europe for the first time in quite a while. Um, they really should have beaten Arsenal in that last 16 tie. Yeah. But do you, uh, not think yeah. that, do you not think it's, it's a mentality issue? I mean, you're, you're, you're touching on that by saying that I last, think last year they were so excited, issue. they were so up for it. And this yeah. year it was like, well, it's a lot of work, isn't it? To, you know, well, we have to roll Etienne, they've up. drawn four games in a row 
and I've, they haven't really looked like winning many of those in the in the Europa League. But that it was awkward for them because it was the crossover between Pranton and Puel, yeah, and absolutely. Puel had to concentrate on getting them up in the league, which he has done very effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I, I think there, there is, yeah, but there is a difference when it's a big club involved in the Europa League. Lyon made the semi-finals, Marseille made the final. They're so angry about not taking part in the mm. Champions League. And some of the best atmospheres that I have seen in French stadiums in recent years have been in Europa League matches, whether it's been yeah. Lyon playing Ajax in the semi-finals of the Europa League or Marseille uh, in their run to the final. Well, I think once you get to the knockout stages, you get some fantastic games, but you've got to roll your sleeves up on a Thursday night and go to Ukraine and go to different places and, and, and get results. But I'm absolutely convinced there's a, there's a mentality issue. I, I, I was watching... Uh, Again, uh, the Sunday night show on, on Canal Plus and the first thing Mikel Londro said was it's just very hard to play on a Thursday night and a Sunday night and a Sunday afternoon. But of course, yeah. it's the same for every club. They asked Paolo Sosa. And that's was, a goalkeeper. Paolo Sosa, the, yeah, the Bordeaux <laughs> coach. And they said, look, why do Portuguese clubs do well? I think Sosa touched on a point that is totally true. And he said, listen, Porto, Benfica, sporting the differences. And I think we can say the same for someone like Celtic. Um, they can rotate because they have a lot of easier games in the league and I don't think Ren you know Ren and Saint-Étienne cannot yeah. cannot because suddenly if- make six changes on a Sunday but you know so I think that is a valid point but I also think it is drilled into these guys yeah. that they cannot play on a Thursday I, I, and I a think Sunday. also the, the coaches they prefer to do their rotation on the Thursday rather than on the Sunday so they spend so many months battling to get into that fourth, fifth, sixth position, whatever it is that makes them eligible for European competition, come through the playoff rounds and then get to the group stage and almost give up, which is really sad. I think there's the, the French football as a rule, and, and it's, we've spoken about it in the past in terms of the general aura and supporterism nature of, of French football, is that they don't really get carried away. You don't have bandwagon stuff really in France. It's such a pragmatic footballing culture and and they don't see playing in Europe as something exceptional. This is a chance to play in Europe, to travel oh, exotic things, to get carried away yeah, with Saint it Saint Etienne is maybe a, a bit different because they're waiting for another epopee européenne and because they've, they all those fans that are young now, they grew up on all of the stories about the Poto Carré and the Liver making European Cup final and everything. So they're just... They're, they're gagging for a, yeah, a, a run into the quarterfinals, semifinals, final of a competition. Interesting, interesting stuff. We're going to wrap up. We've got a couple of subjects uh, to bring to you. Just uh, a couple more questions that I want to throw. I'll throw one to Dave and, uh, and one to Robbie if I can find them. Um, we always have Monaco questions. Plenty of Monaco followers out there. Uh, Arnab Mukherjee. Uh, Monaco didn't play this weekend, but uh, they are in action in midweek. Where has Leonardo Jardim gone wrong at Monaco after a spectacular couple of seasons? Initially, why has the recruitment of the players been so stupid? When will we see the same energy and counter-attacking gameplay? There you go, Robbie. A couple of. Oh, that was for me. I thought you said Dave first. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, look, I don't think uh, Jardim's got too much wrong at the moment. I think they're 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 slowly working their way back up. It's not necessarily reflected in the standings at the moment. They're in 14th. It's very very tight. We've seen Saint Etienne go from 19th to fourth in just uh, a matter of weeks under Claude Puel. The same could happen with Leonardo Jardim if they can just string together a couple of results, um, which looked like it was coming. In terms of the, the, the recruitment, there have been so many changes at so many levels of the club that that's not uh, uh, Jardim's fault. Uh, 
the the replaced Vasily Vasiliev, who's now always in the in the press giving his opinion about everything left, right, and centre. But look, Monaco may yet turn things around. I don't think all is lost there, and I think they have a good bunch of young players and uh, plenty of potential there. Monaco away to bottom club to lose. Uh, on Wednesday night, Robbie always, well, not always, but usually defends the coaches and he did that with, with Jardim. <laughs> Dave, um, just a, a quick answer on this one. What's the deal with Pepe at Arsenal? Why, why, why is he struggling and what's this about an adjustment? Do you know how to answer that one yourself, man? An adjustment period. <laughs> I, oh, I could that, do, was, that was a setup just to cut you truth, down terribly, Dave. The truth is I don't I can know. talk to you about what Sam Maximan is doing to Newcastle, but I, I don't watch as many Arsenal games as you. Well, the thing is, he's not playing. That's the problem. And he, you know, he struggled in the in the opening weeks. I think his confidence is shot. I don't think Unai Emery uh, managed him particularly well. But it's difficult to know what's going on behind the scenes. And I think the, the the question mark that I would have over Nicola Pepe is his mentality. And that you know, you need to have character. You need to have that strength. He obviously has some character, but he's quite an introverted character. And I and I just wonder if if he's able to impose himself. I, th- I think it's also the nature of the style, isn't it? So if, if you did put Pepe into the Newcastle team, and Newcastle don't have 80 million to sign a player like that, but Sam Maximan has basically gone from a Nice side where he had to run from his own half and try and score a solo goal to a Newcastle side where he has to run from his own half and try and score a goal. So it looks exciting. He runs down the wing. He still hasn't scored. But he people enjoy watching him. If Pepe was playing in that team, he'd have half a pitch to run into. And he's devastating when he's got that. I don't think he gets that on those rare occasions when he does play with Arsenal. You've got to play in the petit perimetre. Dave, uh, Saint-Maximin, doing all right? He's doing very well. He's very popular. No, he hasn't scored, no. It's not, he, football's not all about goals, Matt. But he's popular. Okay, before... <laughs> before wait, it's a fair bit about when goals, you're some, but when not you're all about Maxima, goals. They are mainly about... Um, before we, we, we move on to, uh, to the Bon Voyage, we'll look ahead to the midweek games... Just a very quick word about Montpellier. 4-2 victors over Amiens. One of the most spectacular games of the weekend. Uh, Gaetan Laborde, Damien Letalek, um, Florent Mollet on target. And Andy Lelore with an absolute belter of a goal. Uh, so well done to them. Toulouse beaten again 2-1 um, away to Nantes. That was Nantes' first win for, uh, for nearly two months. Reims won, Bordeaux won. I mentioned for Boulay Dier, Robbie's favourite player. And for Madges Madger again, because I don't think oh, we've got we time to talk it. about it. Madges Madger. Madges Madger. Josh Madger. I think he's got four goals, three in the league or two what's in a, the league. What's three, a Madger, guys? Okay, we need to explain the, Algeri- <laughs> the Algerian. Because I know the French love a Madger, but... Uh, the Algerian striker, Rabah Madger, scored a Madger in the... Scored a back goal, goal for Porto. Porto. In the European, in the European Cup. Cup. Yeah, Cup so final. it's uh, it's kind of letting the ball come... Behind your standing you leg. And then flicking and then, it with yeah. your It's instep. actually, I, I'd heard the French talk about a Madger for years before I eventually went online and looked up this goal. It's distinctly unimpressive as far as back heels go, <laughs> the, the one that Madger scored for Porto. Josh Madger's Madger was better than Madger's Madger. It was, Madger's Madger was just the occasion more Josh than Madger's the, more Madger than the got technique. A point against Rouse and uh, Rabba Madger's <laughs> won the European Cup won the final. European Cup. That's, it's that's, not all about but, winning European Cup finals. No, it's Madger. not there. It's not about goals or winning trophies. Could, could Rabba Madger have done it on a wet Saturday in Rams. <laughs> Lads, Portugal, Germany, France, and, and one, someone, and, and to be one, decided, one other. to be confirmed. What do you think? Scandalous that the world champions have been uh, have been asked to play in such a difficult group? No, or? not at all. Exciting, but strange. The the whole draw and the way it's all been and where they're going to play. They play Firstly, Germany. I'm, I'm looking forward Germany. to going to Munich and Budapest. Two great yeah, cities, exactly. And they could have Hungary in Budapest as well. They're Hungary are one of the four sides they could yet 
complete that group F. I, th- I think I think it is it is surprising, yeah, that the world champions are playing with the team that won the World Cup in 2014, and the team that won the Euros in 2016, but they only really have themselves to blame because in that you know it was based on their qualifying campaign, which wasn't very good, and they lost to Turkey. They didn't. Their goal difference is 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 very poor. Um, did they not finish top of the group? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They only so, took one point off Turkey. I, I, I actually say they did the job. No absolutely. problem. I still have them down as favourites for the competition despite being drawn yeah. in that group. Yeah, no problem. Deschamps, not a, not a problem. He wouldn't, he wouldn't care who the opposition is. And to is. be honest, to win the Euros... Uh, Euros you, is you, hard to win. You need to, yeah, you need to beat everyone. Absolutely. I mean, uh, Euro 2000, who did France beat? Can you, can you just go, go through On that? the way beat? through? Yeah. No, I was in a plane for the I final. Think they... They'd beat Italy in the final. Czech Del Republic. Goal. Well, they had a really Roma hard Stryker. group. They had a very hard group. Czech, well, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll maybe well, look that they up. Made they made the final. Spain. Well, who did they play in 2016? That's a little bit easier. They had Switzerland, Romania, and Albania. That's mm. an easier and group. And they went, yeah. that's an easier group. Ireland. And then Ireland. And then Iceland. Iceland. And they played and Germany. Germany. Yeah. So, look. And lost to Portugal in the final, just because we can remember that. Exactly. That's, okay, it. that's guys. easiest. Guys, 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 we're going too long as ever, as ever, as ever. But um, hopefully we've covered pretty much everything that uh, our listeners wanted to hear this week. We're going to quickly look ahead to Tuesday and Wednesday's matches. Some big ones. I mentioned Leon uh, against Lille. Uh, We'll have a look, see what else takes the fancy. And uh, I'll ask Dave and Robbie where they want to go. Look, I'm off to Angers. Angers. Angers, Angers. I'm off to Angers on, on Tuesday night to see them take on Marseille. Second, travelling to third. Um, Angers blowing a little bit hot and cold, as we saw with the defeat this weekend. But um, I'd like to see them get up over Marseille just to keep that title race for, for totally second place. Im- impartial, Robbie. <laughs> no. Well, no, I like Angers. I have a real soft spot for Angers. I like Stéphane Moulin and what he's done. And I think Tommy Mongani is a fantastic player in the middle of the park if getting a little bit long in the tooth. But uh, look, I have a lot of time for Angers and I think it'll be a good game. I didn't mean, I'd like to see them defeat Marseille for the fact that Marseille lose. Yeah, I'd like yeah, to yeah. see them. Yeah, 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 yeah. There we go. Tuesday night, Angers-Marseille. I think I've already revealed that I'm going to the Angers-Marseille game to commentate it. But if I wasn't, I'd go to Bordeaux against Nîmes to see if Magic can do another Magic Magic. And then oh. I'll be in Paris on Wednesday night for PSG Nantes, of I'm, course. Look, I'm going to go. I'm going to be brave on on a Wednesday night. I'm going to put on my thermals and uh, you know get a big big Father Christmas hat, and I'm going to go to Toulouse. Uh, partly, <laughs> partly because um, the food is great, but also because I know I'll get in because there, there, there's always plenty of spare seats in in Le, Le Stadium. Toulouse are playing Monaco, and I do feel in some ways this is a bit of a crisis match. It's a bit of a, a big game for both clubs. Monaco away from home have been abysmal. They're on, what, they're on 18 points. Five Toulouse, points away from home, I think. Yeah, shocking. Toulouse rock bottom now. And I think Jardim and Comboire are just about two of the coaches under the most pressure right now. So, so there you go. And Toulouse is great. Well, that's, uh, I'll it just add a little yeah. bit of French culture then to the Angers trip on Tuesday night. because in the, And it's the press room, so it's a little bit of an isolated French culture idea that the, the press have at football matches. But they do turn out that the charcuterie, all yeah. the cured hams and the big terrines of pâté, it's real uh, old school French cuisine uh, in, the, in the Angers media box. So uh, we'll enjoy that one. Spreading yeah, it over the local if you're bread. if you looking for a sausage, I think Toulouse is the place to go. So well, what, should we continue this debate after the pod? Absolutely. Yeah, over lunch. <laughs> over lunch. Let's uh, let's say goodbye and uh, thank you again to everybody for listening. Don't forget you were listening to Le Bourgeois 
the official League One podcast. You can email us League One Podcast at gmail.com. You can uh, get us on Twitter on the hashtag uh, LeBourgeois. Thank you very much uh, from me, Matt Spirit. It's time to wish you all a, a very good week. We'll see you again next week. And uh, sorry from Robbie Thompson as well. And from David Crossley. Bye. Au revoir. A bientôt. Wraps it up.